You've got this, gonna rock this Ain't nobody gonna stop you from living the life that you choose You're confident, you're fearless Don't question your spirit You're the only one who's gotta walk in your shoes You've got the tools, you're not alone You've always been your baby's home Bring them into the world in your own Bring them into the world in your Hey there, welcome back to the No Fear Home Birth Podcast. Today I'll be sharing part one of my redemptive home birth VBAC of Amelia Grace. I'm your host, Megan R. Cooper, and before we get into Amelia's birth story, I'm going to answer a listener question about the mess associated with home birth. But before I answer, a quick announcement. Time is running out to get in on the No Fear Home Birth Podcast launch prize giveaway. To be entered to win over $150 in prizes, all you have to do is leave a podcast review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and then fill out the super quick and simple form in the show notes. This promotion is running through December 31st, so take a quick pause, go leave a review, and then head right back into today's episode. Now, without any further ado, let's get into this week's question. It's from Chrissy who writes, I'm worried that having a home birth would be really messy. Doesn't everything end up full of blood and birth fluids? So thanks for that question, Chrissy. And before I answer, I'll just give my standard disclaimer that these answers and this podcast in general are for informational and educational purposes only, aren't a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice, and don't constitute a provider-patient or coach-client relationship. Also, this is just my take as one home birth professional, and I hope you'll seek out other perspectives and consult your own intuition as well. The short answer is you don't have to be worried about the mess when it comes to home birth. And that's a really, really cool thing. So what is really neat is that your midwife will provide you with a list of items that she recommends that you have prepared and ready for the birth. So it's going to include things like lots of old towels and washcloths. She'll either bring or ask you to get things like chucks pads, which are basically disposable lined pads. Um, You may want to get a plastic liner for your bed if you plan to birth on your bed or even just to have anyway in case your water were to break one night um, while you're in bed, that type of thing. And you're going to have all the things that you need there ready to go. Okay. And what's really neat is that your midwife and her team, um, whoever is there, they're going to be obviously with you the whole time, kind of following you. If you move from one place in your home to another place, they'll be there. And they're going to, they're very good. They're very skilled at placing pads where they need to go, making sure that you're not getting fluids and things everywhere. Okay. And and the reality is like, once you get into a position that's working well for you in birth, 
you're typically kind of staying there in that position until maybe you move after a while. But it's not like you're running around the whole house and gushing fluids everywhere as you go, right? Um, And so that's something to keep in mind. Another big part of home birth for many, many women is um, using a birth pool or a birth tub and possibly giving birth in the in the tub as well. Okay. And so again, once you're in that tub, you're just there. You're not moving around. Any type of blood or fluids that would be coming out of your body would be going right into the water and contained in that tub, right? And then the question always comes up, well, like, wouldn't that make a big mess to have a birth tub? Like, where do you put it? Like, how do you make sure? Um, And I was definitely worried about that as well, because when I gave birth at home, I had us, we lived in a small apartment and there was, there was really only one place that we could put our uh, birth tub, which was in the living room, which was on wood floor. And so I was worried. I'm like, and we're renting, you know, it's not even something we own. So I'm like, is water going to get on the floor? Like, what if we ruin the floor? Like, how's this going to work? You know, whatever. So it turns out, it's, it's, it's such a non-issue. It's like something to not even think or worry about for even a moment. So you'll put a tarp under your, your pool. Okay. So that'll be there to catch just in case. But again, the reality is like you step into the pool, you're, you're not swimming. You're not splashing around. You're, you're sitting, laying, you're on hands and knees. You're doing something in that tub, but you're just there, right? Like you're totally not making a mess. Um, So it's, again, really a non-issue. And then when you get out of the tub, of course, again, the midwives are going to set down those disposable pads or towels and you're going to step onto those. Okay. And then what I think is one of the best things of all about home birth, which I can almost not even say that because everything is the best thing about it. So, (laughs) but the midwives, your birth team, they clean everything up, everything up for you um, after you give birth, before they leave. It's absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing. Um, And I have now heard several, several stories from home birthing moms who have talked about how their house was actually cleaner when the midwives left than before they even gave birth. So they're going to clean up everything. They're going to throw out all the trash. They're going to do that. They're going to help, um, you know, get the water out of the bath, you know, out of the tub. They're going to help, you know, take down the tub, take down the tarp. They're going to throw all the towels in the laundry for you. They will wipe everything down. Like everything will be um, just perfect. And and we definitely found that to be true ourselves at the end of our home birth. Everything was cleaner <laughs> than when they got there. And it was like, did I really just have a baby? Like there's no trace. There's no trace um, physically in the environment. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's not messy. It's, it's not a big concern. Um, I do recommend, you know, when you're using, 
picking your towels and washcloths and things like that that you might want to use get old ones or if you don't have any old ones then just buy really really cheap ones because that way if they do end up staining with blood um it's not a big deal right but other than that and honestly none of ours stained so ours all came out um the midwives had us get hydrogen peroxide to help um remove any blood and and it worked so it was easy peasy to submit your own question for a chance to have it answered either here or in my No Fear Home Birth Weekly email series, just follow the link in the show notes. Now let's get into Amelia's birth story, shall we? First of all, if you haven't already listened to my first birth story, which was the birth of Penelope Elizabeth, my daughter Penny, who's now six, you're going to want to go back and listen to episode number one. You can get the whole story, the whole background there, and then come on back here to episode five to hear Amelia's birth story. Let's do it, okay? Before I even was cut open for my C-section, as I was being wheeled back for surgery, I looked at my husband and I shared this on the first episode too, I believe, but I looked at my husband, you know, I had tears streaming down my face. Um, I was crying. Our hands were kind of being ripped apart because the staff was pushing, pushing my whole bed out. They were kind of like in this, this fast emergency like state. And I said to him, this isn't fair. I want to redo. I'm having a VBAC. So I knew before I even had my surgery, I'm going to have a VBAC. It was pretty, pretty darn soon after Penny was born that I really decided to take a really close look at exactly like what a VBAC would entail, um, learn more about it. I wanted to read the research. So I already knew that I was going to want a VBAC. But I also knew that a couple different things. One, that if I was going to have a VBAC in a hospital, there I was potentially going to have a really difficult time achieving that VBAC because of hospital policies that are in place. And also I had heard many stories about women who were planning to have a VBAC and basically their providers ended up doing the bait and switch and they had started with these providers and the providers had said, yes, absolutely. We're pro VBAC. Um, we'd love, you know, love to support you in your journey to having a vaginal birth after C-section. And then as they got closer and closer to their due date, um, the, the doctor would start to talk about, well, if this happens, we may have to induce. If this happens, we may have to do a repeat C-section and basically start to try to, um, you know, get this mother to (laughs) start having interventions, which of course decreases your risk or your likelihood of actually having a VBAC. Um, and, and sometimes these doctors basically kind of pushing um, or coercing almost these women into having repeat cesareans. So I was worried about that. But I was, and so um, that was one of the reasons that I wanted research because I wanted it to back me up, 
So I wanted to be able to go into a doctor's office, show the research and be like, look, this is um, a completely safe and viable option. It's what I want. Here's the research to prove it. Like I need, I need you to back me up on this type of a thing. Right. So I wanted it for that reason. And then also pretty much for the same reason for my own parents, especially my mom, who is very opinionated. Um, honestly, she's, she's pretty judgmental. (laughs) She's got her, her thoughts and ideas, and she's not afraid to share what those are and doesn't always consider how that could affect the person receiving the information. Um, and so I, I just knew that she wasn't going to be supportive of a VBAC. Um, I just kind of knew that. She had C-sections herself. Um, she even described for my birth that she was in labor for 36 plus hours. And by the end, she said she and my dad were begging the doctor for a C-section. So this is what she has told me. And she had a C-section. And then with the second, she just automatically, you know, planned to have a C-section with my, with my brother. And so um, that was just like commonplace for her. That just made sense. Um, she had already talked to me uh, pretty soon after I had ended up with a C-section. Like, oh, well, next time it'll be so nice because you get to just pick your the date. You're going to know when the baby is going to be born. You can plan it all <laughs> around that, whatever. Um, so I just knew she wouldn't even consider like she, it, her in her mind, she wasn't even me thinking that I would possibly have a vaginal birth. Um, it was like it was just obvious that C-section would be next. And so I wanted research to be able to show her when she was like, oh, this is crazy. What are you talking about? I wanted to be able to say like, look, here's here's the research. It's actually a really safe and viable option. And it's what I want to do. Okay. So as I started to do more and more research into things, um, I actually, I actually kept a a Word document and saved links to a bunch of different articles. I would like copy and paste like certain quotes that I wanted to be able to, you know, share with my, with the hospital and with my, my parents. I I was like really preparing myself. Um, I took a course as well to learn more about VBACs and the evidence and research behind them. And as I was going through this, I just started to really realize like, this is not, this is not how it should be. Like, this is not, I shouldn't have to be like preparing myself for war as I'm thinking about getting pregnant again. Like I shouldn't be like terrified and and needing to arm myself with the quote unquote weapons of these words that I've found, you know, this research, like that's just not, that's not what I want. I don't want to have to fight tooth and nail. I don't want to have to um, try to, you know, convince people to let me birth the way that I want to birth. Like it just, the more that I learned, the more I thought this is just, this is just not what I want. And then I always had in the back of my mind, the, you know, the thought that home birth was uh, something that I had been interested in. I had, you know, learned about it when I was 25. By this time, I was 32. So it was seven years later 
Um, I was super interested. I was always really scared and hesitant. And honestly, I had so many reasons why I didn't choose home birth the first time around. But it was only fairly recently that I kind of came to this huge dawning realization that the real reason why I never pursued a home birth was because of the fear of the backlash from my mom and from my parents. And that's huge and actually very sad and upsetting as I really kind of discovered this. Um, because, you know, I, I robbed myself of the, the chance for this opportunity um, to come much sooner than it ultimately did. Now, that being said, um, I do believe that my story had to unfold the way that it did because otherwise I don't think I'd be sitting here right now recording this podcast and and bringing No Fear Home Birth to all of you. So there you go, full circle. <laughs> but I started to realize like I really want to do this at home um, and I started to do more research on home birth, what that would look like, what, you know, the benefits were. I started to look up the research on it and it just became more and more clear and more and more obvious every single day. Like, and we weren't even pregnant yet. So this was during the 18 months between when my daughter Penny was born and before I even got pregnant. Okay. So this is spanning over that 18 months where I'm trying to like equip myself before we even get pregnant because I I really wanted to be really well prepared and and have an idea of what I was going to do. I didn't want to end up in the situation where I was pregnant and then going through all of this, trying to figure out, find the research, try to figure out how to find a provider. Like I wanted to know ahead of time, like what is this going to look like for us? So once I felt like it was too obvious to ignore any longer. Like this was always something, this was a seed that was planted in my heart seven years prior. And I sort of shoved a whole bunch of stuff and excuses and reasons and whatever. And I just, on top of it and just like the business of life, life and just, um, like I just never gave it the time of day to even really think about it. And so the, this idea in my heart was, was kind of suffocated. It, I wasn't really thinking about it, but as I started to learn more about home birth, um, it started to shine brighter in my heart. And eventually it was, it was so bright that it was like the most obvious choice I literally could have ever made in my whole life. And at that point, I started talking to my husband about it, about, hey, look, you already know. And by, and by the way, I'd been talking to him about how I was going to have a VBAC for a year. Like I was like relentless. I was talking all the time about VBAC and and I was processing through my, my C-section. I was telling him everything I was learning about VBACs. Like he, if you were to talk to him today, he'd be like, oh my gosh, he'd probably roll his eyes at how much I was talking about VBAC. So like... <laughs> was talking about birth all the time. So he wasn't all that surprised when I came to him and I was like, you know, I think giving birth at home might be the best choice. Given everything I had told him about VBACs and how it can be really hard to actually have one in the hospital, 
Okay. And by the way, I'm not saying it's impossible or anything like that. I just knew that I would have the chance that I might have to really fight for what I wanted. And I just didn't want that. Like for me, I was like, nope. I'm good. I'm just going to do this at home. And so he wasn't surprised when I started talking to him about it. He did, you know, have some logistical questions. He wanted to know um, what was going to happen in case of an emergency. Um, How much was this going to cost us? He wanted to know, like, is this actually safe? Like, what kind of training do do midwives have? Like, he wanted to know, like, he's very analytical and he wanted to, like, get all those answers to those questions. So I did the best I could to um, educate him on what I had learned, but then also pulled him in and together we learned together. So, you know, like, we took a home birth masterclass together to learn more about what the research says. Um, and, and we just had a lot of conversations and a lot of discussions. And, and ultimately, he was on board um, pretty, pretty quickly and pretty easily. He knew that I wasn't going to back down on this, that like I was going to want this. Um, and he is just a very, very supportive um husband and wants to, you know, make me feel supported and loved. And so, um, he knew that this was, but this was probably the best idea. Um, but what really sealed the deal for us both was, was actually once we got pregnant and started interviewing midwives. So now we, Getting into the, you know, the story of us getting pregnant, I, I just want to mention how I decided um, or how we decided, you know, how long to wait between pregnancies. And this was completely based on, um, you know, quote unquote safety for having a VBAC. Now, I knew I wanted to have kids um, fairly close-ish in age, like probably about two years apart, but I... I wanted to make sure that I did whatever. I didn't want to be excluded from having a VBAC by having a kid too soon, if that makes sense. Um, which, again, knowing what I know now, it's like you can <laughs> you can have a VBAC no matter when you get pregnant again after your first baby. Okay, um, you can you get to choose and you get to pursue the type of birth that you want, no matter kind of what the circumstances are. Um, especially when we're talking about a lower risk pregnancy, which 90 plus percent of pregnancies are. So I had asked three different physicians during, you know, like my first few months postpartum, I asked them all, what, how long should I wait before getting pregnant if I want to have a VBAC? And I found this absolutely fascinating. So the people that I asked, I asked my OBGYN who had been my doctor for my first pregnancy. She was not the one who was actually there for my um, birth. She didn't do the C-section. I never saw her, but she did all my prenatals. So at our two week checkup, I had asked her how long I should wait. And she said, 12 months, wait 12 months to get pregnant and you should be in the clear. Okay. And then I asked two different physicians who also work with, they're like family physicians with OB. So they um, also help women, you know, when the, the, the woman's giving birth. And one of them, 
I was four months postpartum at this time and I was there getting, um, just, you know, she was my family physician at the time. And I just said, Hey, I'm just curious. I was getting my normal physical. And I said, I'm just curious, like, when should I wait before getting ready to have a VBAC, like in your opinion? And she's like, Oh, you could start trying now. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, okay. So that was at four months pregnant. Okay. So one said 12, one said four. And the last one, um, I went and I saw another physician and asked him, and it, this was actually the physician. If you listen to episode one, you will have heard about my, my story of my miscarriage before, um, I got pregnant with Penny. And that was that doctor who I had asked. Um, I, I always really felt a lot of compassion from him. And, um, I don't know. I just really trusted his opinion too. And so I went and talked to him about it and he said, I would wait 18 months. And he said the longest number. And I also trusted him the most out of everyone I had asked. And so I said, okay, I'm going with 18 months. And that's how I picked (laughs) the age gap between my, my children. So as we were approaching that 18 months, um, I was getting, I was getting really anxious, um, and excited, you know, to, to get pregnant again and, and, you know, give Penny a sibling and also to pursue a home birth. I was really excited about this. So we didn't quite make it to the 18 months. We, um, made it to 17. So just one month short. (laughs) And I was like, let's, let's try. It's probably going to take us a few months to get pregnant anyway. And, you know, like I, I want to get, I want to get to the baby making. And, um, so we tried and we literally, of course, got pregnant immediately. Um, which was not a bad thing. (laughs) It was good. (laughs) I had a moment of like, oh no, I got pregnant before the 18 months. And then I thought, okay, Megan, <laughs> you're totally fine. It's 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 just not that big of a deal. Um, it's gonna be totally fine, which was true. So I talked myself off that little ledge real really quick. Once I found out that I was indeed pregnant again, um, man, we were so excited. And one of the very very first things that I did was set up interviews with home birth midwives. And the way that I chose who I was going to interview, there was basically kind of two ways that I chose who to interview. One, I was kind of trolling all the Facebook groups and, um, you know, for my area, the mom groups, the different mom groups. I was trying to find out. I didn't know anyone who had had a home birth personally. Um, so I was trying to find out like doing my best, like social media digging that I could like who people were using for their home birth midwife and, and if they recommended them and all those things. Right. Um, I was part of a home birth, uh, Madison, you know, Wisconsin home birth group. And that was a big place where I was looking. I was also asking, you know, hey, where, you know, who did you use? These types of things. Okay. So that was one thing. And and one one name kept popping up over and over and over again, like so many times. Um, and that was Ingrid Anderson. And she is the midwife that we ended up going with. Shout out to her. She's absolutely freaking amazing. And I also, so that was one way. So I was like, okay, we're obviously interviewing her because everyone is gushing on and on about her. Okay. And then the other, and then we, I picked two others to interview 
And those two, I actually chose based on, you know, Googling and looking at their website. So Googling, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, home birth midwife. And there's a lot of people that are that show up. And there is a couple um, who I looked at and they were newer in their practice and therefore their price (laughs) was a little bit lower. And that was how I chose to interview them. I thought, well, we're paying for this out of pocket. Um, You know, let's let's see. Let's see what what these newer uh, midwives have to offer. And I do want to say, like, I don't recommend choosing based on that. Okay. Um, If you, if we had gotten together, I will say, if we had gotten together with these midwives and found that, like, a resounding yes, which I'll talk about here in a second, how we came to that with Ingrid, um, then yes, of course, we could go with them. But basing solely on something like price or what the, or or not even the price, but also just like what their website says. A lot of times midwives don't even have a website. So there were midwives in the area that I live who were listed different places on the internet, but they didn't have a website. And I, so they just were excluded from my list. I was like, okay, well, I, I'm one of those people that likes to research and I wanted to like be able to look online and read about them and look at their website before I chose to even interview them. Okay. That's not necessarily the way to go. Um, especially when you're looking up people, uh, and finding recommendations and maybe that person doesn't have a website interview them anyway. Like I do think if I were to do it again, the first time around, because <laughs> now if I were to do it again, I would have Ingrid again, but I, I would have included those people. I wouldn't have automatically disqualified them. Okay. So like, as you're looking, um, try to keep your criteria very open. You're going to have so much that you're going to learn when you actually have conversations with these midwives. And so we met with the two less experienced midwives first. Um, and one of them, we felt like, okay, this is this sounds pretty good. Um, however, you know, the red, the big red flag for me with her was when we talked about, um, you know, uterine rupture, the concern of what if I were to have a uterine rupture, how would you know? What would the transfer process look like? All of these different things, right? Because that's one of the biggest concerns when it comes to a VBAC. And she said, her answer basically was, it was, it was a good answer, but she said that, you know, she, she really said she would not hesitate to send us to the hospital if needed. Um, and, and her transfer rate at that point was, I think like 30%. It was pretty high. Um, and so that was a red flag for me because I was like, I don't want to have a home birth just to be transferred, right? Like I want to have this baby at home. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're going to end up with a transfer or anything like that, but, just knowing that she was newer and that she's definitely probably going to err on the side of, you know, protecting me, the baby and herself. Um, she has less experience. So she's going, she's probably more likely to send me to the hospital. And that's pretty much what she said. So that was a little concerning. Um, and then the second one, we just didn't jive with at all. Honestly, like we both just knew that she just wasn't, 
we just didn't we just didn't feel a connection um none of our answers were bad but none of them made us feel fabulous like I don't know we just were we just knew like she's not the one um and so then we interviewed Ingrid the third midwife and she is a certified nurse midwife of over 20 years of experience or now at this point you know several more years and she she, we went and we met with her um and all of them by the way we spent an hour with um the first two actually came to us to our apartment and and chatted with us which was amazing um and then with Ingrid we went to her um home office at at her house and we just we sat down with her and she had us talk about the first birth and what it looked like. Um, and then she talked about how, what they would have done in my first birth had I been having a home birth the first time around. And she said, I cannot say, I can't guarantee that the outcome, the type of birth would have been any different. But this is what we would have done if you were at home, given these certain situations um, during, you know, labor. And everything she said made so much sense. So they, she would have been suggesting different positions for us to be in or having us try these different things to get labor moving. Um, you know, she wouldn't have really a timer on our put a timer on us as far as like my water having been broken like just a lot of different things um and and what they would be monitoring for rather than just like a blanket timer but like we'd be monitoring your temperature every you know x number of hours and as long as that was looking good like it wouldn't be a problem like just different things like this okay um and to me that was like the part for me where and afterwards I found out for my husband as well where it was just like it was so abundantly clear that like if I had had a birth with her my first time around I would have had a home birth and not a c-section I would have had a vaginal birth at my home and I really truly feel that confidently like from the to my very very core that that is that is true and so that was huge for me. And, and Brett said the same thing afterwards. Um, but then we asked all our questions. She had fabulous answers to every single question. She really helped allay, allay any fears that we had. And we just, both of us, like it was just a full body, obvious. Yes, 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 yes. She's the one. So we picked her and we were so excited and it was so amazing. Um, and I forgot, I did forget to mention one thing about uh, another reason why home birth appealed to me over hospital, besides everything else I already talked about. But once we found out that I was pregnant and we calculated when the due date was going to be, we found out the due date was December 22nd, which is, of course, right next to the holidays. And that also made me not want to give birth in the hospital because with my first birth, I was 41 plus three when I gave birth. Um, And if I was 40 or 40 plus three, sorry, 40 weeks and three days. And if I was the same with the second one, that would literally put our daughter being born on Christmas Day. Right. 
Now, obviously it's different for every pregnancy, all of these things, but I knew that I was not going to get the same type of care on Christmas (laughs) over Christmas that I would get if it was another time. And that, you know, like, like, let's say I'm in labor on Christmas Eve or Christmas, there's a good chance that the doctor might have a bias, whether they know it's a bias or not, of wanting me to just like get this repeat C-section so that they can get out of there and go home for Christmas with their family, right? So this was like a fear of mine and a concern of mine as well. So that was another, another little piece of it. So soon after we um, decided on who our midwife was going to be, I wanted to share the news with my parents um, and, and start telling people that we were pregnant. The first time around, we chose not to tell anyone until 12 weeks. Um, and then I had a miscarriage and it was very, very odd later on to share with family and friends that we had a miscarriage. You didn't even know I was pregnant, but we were pregnant and we also lost the baby. And the whole experience was very odd. And, you know, everyone that we shared with felt terrible for us, of course. Um, and And I felt so lonely and isolated when I had that miscarriage. Literally no one knew about it except for me and Brett. Um, we only had each other and, and, and that was great, but I just, I wanted other people to know and I wanted the support of them. Um, if I was going to go through this again, I wanted to be able to talk to people about it. Right. And not be like hiding it, um, or whatever. So, so that was, that was big, you know, with my, with Penny's pregnancy, we still waited um, a while, eight weeks to tell my parents and 10 to tell my brother and sister or brother and sister-in-law. And then, you know, around 12 weeks to tell quote unquote the world. (laughs) But this time I was like, we're going to tell people early. So it was right about six weeks, um, which was really when that was kind of like the first chance once we found the midwife. Okay. Cause I wanted my plans to be set in place as well before I shared that we're having a home birth. So we wanted to tell them we're having a baby. Also we're having a home birth. Um, and actually in retrospect, I think we told them together. We must've, yeah, that we were pregnant. So that was probably before we started mid- interviewing midwives. Um, and the way we told them this time around was we dressed Penny, who was, you know, 17, 18 months at the time, in a little onesie that said, I'm going to be a big sister. Um, and we just like showed up one day at their house and said, hey, did you notice her shirt? So, of course, they weren't like <laughs> reading the shirt and like we wanted to. So eventually I'm like, hey, did you read the shirt? And they read it and they're like, wait, what? Are you serious? You know, like, and it was like this big, really exciting thing. Um, So that was a lot of fun. But then, yeah, so then around six weeks, I wanted to share with them that I was going to have a home birth. And this time when I was with them, um, it was just me. Was Brett wasn't there. And I had just put down Penny for a nap at their house. Um... And, and I told them that I was going to have a home birth. 
And their reaction was absolutely, I mean, I describe that as as one of the worst days of my life. Honestly, I've had a lot of post-traumatic stress um, from that conversation. It was bad. (laughs) They were not only not supportive, they were, they were, I mean, they, they, they thought I was absolutely freaking insane for pursuing a home birth. Um, so like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I was worried about my mom, just what she would think about a VBAC alone. And you can imagine then what she would think about having a VBAC at home, not at a hospital. Um, and one part I didn't, did not mention is that she is a nurse. She's a nurse anesthetist. She's been in the medical field for 30 plus years. And so she's not in obstetrics at all. <laughs> but as a medical professional, she she likes to think she knows everything about everything, even though that's not her specialty. Um, and she, she, I, I don't even know where to start. But essentially, this entire conversation was felt it was two against one. I remember feeling very, very vulnerable. I remember feeling like I wanted to shrink and and like curl up into a ball. And I, I wanted to just like go to a bed and just cry and just like sob and just be by myself in the dark by myself. That's how I was feeling during this conversation. It was two of them sitting in the living room, um, one to the right, one to the left, a kind of across from me, just both staring at me and just telling me how I was being so irresponsible um, that I was going to kill my baby, that I was putting, you know, my life at risk, her life at risk. And, and just a lot of things like, um, one of the things my mom said was like, can you imagine like, what if, um, what if you end up dying, your baby ends up dying? Um, what that would mean for Brett, like what you would be like, can you imagine like just leaving him alone to be the sole provider for Penny and, and losing you both and just like trying to put a lot of guilt, guilt and shame and clearly a lot, lot, lot of judgment. Um, and, you know, she was really questioning too. She's like, Megan, you're a nurse. You, you should know better than this. And it's so funny that we have such differing opinions because it's like, yeah, I'm a nurse and that's exactly, that's part of how I know (laughs) the culture of the hospital and the way things are done there and the policies and the, um, you know, the very, like the paternalistic system, like, you know, and so from my perspective, it's like much more unsafe to go to the hospital than it is to birth at home. Um, and I, I tried to share, of course, my side of it, my opinion, why we were choosing this, um, who, you know, that we had chosen this midwife who had all this experience, like all these different things. And we were nowhere near possibly, possibly being able to come to some type of resolution on this where that I would feel supported in any way. Um, and this conversation took it out of me. I was, I was basically went into like this 
period of depression um, after that. And at the very end of the conversation, I already knew, like, I can never talk about this with my parents again. Um, I could already feel in these two hours like that my confidence was really shaking and wavering because of course, when your parents are telling you like, what if you kill your baby? What if you leave Brett without, you know, what if you leave Penny without a mother? Um, and all of these things, it's going to make your brain think of what they're saying, of course. Right. And so I I could already feel all of this and I, you know, (laughs) was like, okay, I I can't ever talk to you guys about this ever again. And so I told them right then and there, like, this is what we're doing. I I never, ever want to mention this again. Literally, we're not going to talk about the birth at all. If you want to be around, like, we can still spend time together and hang out with each other as long as we're never talking about the birth. Um, If the birth comes up, I'm just not going to be able to be around you. Like we're not going to be in each other's lives during this time. And that was really hard. And also the most necessary thing that I ever could have done and ever could have said, because again, I knew I needed to protect my mental energy and emotional energy. Like I was not going to spend this entire pregnancy feeling as shitty as I felt with after that conversation and during that conversation. And I went home and, of course, told Brett about it. It was just bawling my eyes out. And over the next few weeks, that's when I really spiraled a lot and really questioned my decision. Like, does this, am I crazy? Like, should I be having a home birth? Um, Does this make sense? Like, is this safe? You know, all these questions. And during that time, um, I would go through what I call the home birth spiral. It's kind of like a cycle that I went through. It's it's not really even a spiral. It's a spiral that ends up being a cycle. <laughs> so what happens is I would, you know, be feeling pretty good actually about this home birth. Um, maybe I had just had a conversation with the midwife or maybe I was um, reading something positive about home birth in some way or something, right? Something I would listen to a story and I'd be like, oh yes, this is so absolutely, obviously the perfect thing for me. And then some little thing would happen. A comment would be made, um, or I would just have a recollection. I would just remember that traumatic conversation and something that my parents said during it. And that would spark a thought that would, you know, compel me to say, like, let me look into that a little bit more. And so typically then what I would do is I would go to the computer and I would sit down to research more about home birth. And and that can be a tricky, slippery slope situation because you go in, you're reading the research, you're trying to understand, like, how it really applies to you. And inevitably, I always ended up slipping into, like, I would get into these home birth forums and where, you know, it starts with people, you would always start with people who like are sort of affirming my decision, right? And like, oh, this was the best thing I ever did. Da, da, da. And then other people's comments would pop up and they'd be like, this is, this is a terrible idea, whatever. And really make me start to question everything. And so I would get to this really low point 
and then at that point I'm like, okay, maybe I'm being crazy. Let me go ahead and think about what would this look like to be going into the hospital. So I'd talk to Brett about it or I would um, set up an appointment with somebody in the hospital setting to interview and see, you know, what they thought. So then I would go interview, right? So at like, um, I think the first person that I interviewed, even after I had already chosen my home birth midwife, um, was a midwife in the hospital, brand new. Uh, they just started offering midwifery services in the hospital that my insurance would cover. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go and, and interview this person. And I interviewed someone who had come over from a different hospital in our city um, who already had many years of experience because I figured, okay, like if I'm going to pick someone, I want someone with experience um, with feedbacks. And we had this really great conversation. She seemed so nice and so amazing. Um, but I could tell that she couldn't speak candidly to me about what she really felt um, because she, her experience, much of her midwifery experience was with home births. And if, if you are someone who is going to, you know, attend home births and help with home births, you're obviously someone who is pro home birth. Um, and, and she spoke highly of this experience, but when I told her, you know, I was thinking, thinking about home birth, you know, that was my plan. She was like, well, I would not, you know, I would not advise you to do that. Um, you know, I'd advise you to be here in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. I asked her, why do you think I should, like, why should I choose you? I really took this seriously, like as an interview. Um, like I'm interviewing the person that is going to help keep me and my baby safe and as my baby makes his or her way into the world. Right. And she said, I think you should give birth here because of all the access to in case of um, case of a emergency. And, you know, (laughs) it's like we had already discussed different things. Um, You know, I had told her if I was going to be in the hospital, I absolutely would not want continuous fetal monitoring. I wouldn't want an IV. I would want nothing. I would want undisturbed birth. I would want to come in, have my baby, basically have them not be involved at all. (laughs) Just like, let me have my baby, like leave me alone. And she had said, you know, it's hospital policy that you wear the continuous fetal monitor and as a VBAC mom that you have an IV placed. Um, it doesn't need to be hooked up. We just need to put it in, blah, 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 right? And I was like, but I don't want those things. And I asked her about refusing them, and, and she just kept saying, it's policy, it's policy, right? Well, just those things alone are interventions that definitely can cause um, a repeat C-section. And <clears throat> again, if you listen to or remember my story from the first time around, Having a continuous fetal monitor really was um, one of the pieces that that led to my C-section. It was when I got the the epidural and every time I would move to my left, the baby would have heart D-cells. And when I moved to my right, they would come back up. And so it was a combination of both, 
you know, of those things, but, and they, the policy that they had to turn me every 15 minutes. Um, but when we had the heart decels one last time, basically that's what made everybody say, okay, we're having a C-section. Um, and I just, so I knew I just did not want any of the interventions. Like I don't want any intervention, no matter how seemingly small it seems. Um, because, and so then when she said, you know, because then you have access if there's an emergency. And I just, I thought immediately, like, like I'm more likely to have a quote unquote emergency in the hospital. That's what I truly felt. Um, and so then to complete this cycle out, that conversation with someone from the hospital would actually make me feel more confident in my home birth. And I'd be right back at the top of the cycle where I was like, yes, this is the right choice for me. This is exactly what I want. Because hearing everything that a home birth or that a hospital provider would have to say to me just like did not mesh well. It was so, it was everything they would say would make my, my decision to have a home birth so much more obvious. So that cycle I went through a few different times and was very, very mentally and emotionally draining, as you can imagine, to question your decision, to take it so far as to like start interviewing other people like, oh, maybe I should switch. Um, and then to come back around to finding out like, okay, it's the same decision. Like it just took so much out of me. And I do want to mention one other provider that I, that I met with, um, who is a hospital provider as well, because I think that again, this is a kind of an interesting story, which is that she is a, um, family physician with OB practices. Um, and I spoke to her about, there's a couple different things. One, I spoke to her about home birth and two, I spoke to her about VBAC in the hospital. Okay. Right. So she didn't advise me to have a home birth, um, advised me to be in the hospital. Same thing pretty much as the midwife had said, said I was going to have to have the continuous fetal monitoring, said I was going to need the IV, all this stuff. Um, and that it was hospital policy. But what I found to be so interesting and just ridiculous, in my opinion, is that she herself has two children and she had them both at home. She had home births. Okay. She is a home birth advocate. <laughs> like She wanted to have her own children at home. And because of working as a medical professional in a place where there are certain policies in place, she literally cannot say to me, home birth is a fabulous option. You know, this, here was my experience. And, and that is really sad. And so I, I just like to mention that too, because I think it's important to know that you may have conversations with hospital providers and you may not really get their true actual opinion, right? Like it, it very well may be steeped in, oh, hospital policy, hospital culture, um, fear of litigation were something to go wrong. Like all of these different things. Like, I think that's really, really important to keep in mind. Um, 
And so I thought, okay, well, I wanted to have a a physician as a backup. Um, I wanted to know like who my backup person would be in case I was transferred to the hospital, because that was one other piece was with my first birth. I didn't know who I was going to have as my doctor um, because I was, you know, went with a practice that was one of, you know, my doctor was one of 12 and they rotated through. So I knew I only had a very small chance that I was going to get her 5%. And I didn't want that to end up happening again this time around. So I wanted to know who my backup was going to be. And so I wanted it to be her. She had had home births before and, um, yeah. Right. And so, and she told me that she didn't, she didn't do VBAC back home birth backups. She does home birth backups, but not for VBACs. Um, and the reason was because basically like what it comes down to, and this happened, this was also the case. I I talked to the physician who helped me through my miscarriage. Um, and he told me the same thing. The hospital policy requires the doctor to be at the hospital for the entirety, like every minute that the mom is there, the physician has to be there as well when there's when they're a VBAC mom. Well, as y'all know, labor can take many, many hours, can take a long time. And that pulls that doctor out of practice, um, out of their clinic practice. And so they didn't, <laughs> like they chose not to do that because they didn't want to be pulled out of clinic practice for when they knew also that if you made it to the hospital, if you ended up in the hospital and you had had a C-section before, um, especially if you'd been trying to have a home birth, like there was a good chance you were going to end up needing a C-section basically, or at least that's their thought, right? Although the top percent of people who get transferred to a home birth or to a hospital, I'm sorry, actually they, they transfer basically due to pain management because they go to the hospital and they want to get an epidural. Um, and that's a totally different thing than a C-section, obviously. So I don't know. Anyway, just, just crazy. So she could not be my backup. Neither could the other physician. Um, I ultimately ended up just deciding I would transfer to the to the midwives, the hospital midwives, if necessary. And that's where my home birth midwife said she would transfer to like typically. And, and so that's what we decided. So during this first trimester, I went through that cycle many times. Um, and I really started like the more that I would go through this cycle, this home birth spiral cycle, the more I would, you know, come out of it the other side being like, man, that is taking it out of me. And and also like I felt, I felt kind of nauseous. I felt kind of crappy just like in my first trimester as it was just being pregnant, period. And so it was just a lot. Um, and I had a toddler, right? Like I had an 18 to 21 month old, like a little toddler um, that I was trying to take care of too. And it was, and I was working and like, it was all just a lot. And I realized like, I got to stop getting into this cycle. Like I need to be fully committed to this home birth process, which I, which I was, I just, then my brain would just go into these, you know, dark holes and I would, everything I just described would happen. Okay. And so 
I knew that I needed to protect my mental and emotional health and strengthen it like crazy. And so there was several things that I did. Um, I had those boundaries. I never, ever did talk to my parents about my birth. Um, I never chose to share it with anyone else either. The only people who knew I was going to have a home birth were those who were going to be in attendance at my home birth and my parents because they had already been told. But I didn't tell my brother. I didn't tell any of my friends. Like I literally told no one because I did not know how they would react. And I knew that I was very sensitive to any possible negativity in any way or even an inclination that like maybe they have a negative um, (laughs) opinion. Right. So that was, that was huge. And keeping those boundaries was huge for me. Um, But then I also did everything I could to strengthen my mindset. And I did that by learning about you know, natural home birth. I, I practiced affirmations. I did meditations every day. Um, I did affirmations every day. I listened to this affirmation CD. Basically it was like a 45 minute track every freaking day. Um, and those helped immensely. Um, I also prepared using hypno babies, um, starting, I don't know, maybe around 26 weeks or so. Um, and you know, there, there was a lot of practicing hypnosis. There's affirmations. There's a lot of different things that I would do there. Um, I took time every single day to be alone by myself, probably a good hour and a half, uh, while my husband, um, watched Penny where I could just focus on preparing my mind for birth. That's a lot. And that takes a lot of commitment, but I knew it was that important to me, right? And as I got closer and closer to my due date, I knew without a doubt, I was completely fearless. I was so confident. I was so ready to have this baby. I knew I was going to have this baby at home. Like I was just ready. Like as I approached my due date and the end of my pregnancy, I was just like, all right, come on, let's do this. I wasn't scared. I wasn't. I knew I was going to have a VBAC. I knew I was going to have it at home. I was fully prepared, fully confident, completely fearless, completely just, I felt like a fucking badass, like birthing goddess, honestly. And then physically, like, you know, it didn't feel all that great during my last few weeks of pregnancy, but mentally and emotionally, like was felt so rock solid. It was, it was, it was crazy amazing. So the day before my due date, um, 39 and 6, that night I was having some contractions and they were coming every like 8 to 17 minutes and I could not, like I was too excited (laughs) that like this could be it, you know, to sleep. Like I tried so hard to sleep that night and I couldn't. Um, like halfway through the night I woke up and, um, made myself an egg sandwich because I knew like, if this is it, like I need to like have a little bit of food in my body so that I'm like, like have more energy, whatever. 
And I woke up my husband to tell him he was sleeping out on the couch. I had kicked him out of the bed like a couple weeks before my due date because I literally would sleep with like a million pillows and like there just was not room in there. And I was just like, you got to just not be in here. I need this whole bed to myself, even though it's a king size. (laughs) And so he would sleep on the couch. So I went out and the kitchen um, and living room were like, touching each other you could see them and so I was like making my food went over to Brett and said hey we might be having a baby tonight like I've been having contractions whatever and he's so I feel like it's so typical of the husband but he's like oh wow okay cool and like I swear rolled over and fell back asleep and I'm like okay this is obviously not as um big of a I mean it's a big deal but like He's not as anxious as I am about it. He's able to just like fall right back asleep while I'm like still making my egg sandwich. So um, I ate that. I tried to go back to sleep. I think I ended up getting like an hour of sleep or something maybe like early in the morning, like five to six, six to seven a.m., something like that. And that was it. And I woke up and I was like, okay, they never got to be more. I guess this is, you know this prodromal labor that I've heard of, um, in so many stories, which is basically where you're having contractions, but they're erratic. There's no regular pattern. Um, and they can happen for, you know, a day. They can happen for weeks. You know, I'd heard many stories of women who had prodromal labor for weeks before they actually went into labor. And so that scared the shit out of me. Honestly, I was like, this, I can't do this. I can't do this like every day. Um, because I couldn't even sleep, you know? So the next day it was 40 weeks. It was my 40 week. Um, yeah, 40 weeks along. And my husband and I have this, um, tradition of on 40 weeks we plan a a date night so that we have that to look forward to instead of having so much pressure um on the due date um being like is their baby gonna be here or not so it's more like we look forward to and have fun like planning this date um for 40 weeks and so that was the plan and so I had already pre-arranged for Penny to go um, stay overnight at my parents' house for the night so that Brett and I could go out that night, have a night out, um, and then like have a night together, you know, without any children there. Um, Penny was 26 months at this point, just over two years old. So that was already the plan, um, which worked so, so very well because as I was getting closer and closer to giving birth, um, a a frequent conversation that Brett and I had like over and over again was like, what are we going to do with Penny? Um, we both felt like, I mean, he was fine either way really. But for me, I felt like I was not going to be able to really relax with her there. Um, I felt like she was going to be a distraction to me and I was going to be hard for me to just like get into the flow of, um, giving birth, right? With my, my two-year-old there. So I really didn't want her to be there. I also knew that like it would be possible for my husband to take her away and like, um, like keep her busy maybe, but, but then he wouldn't be there for me to help me, you know, during my 
my labor. So I just didn't want her to be there, but I could not for the life of me figure out like how we were going to like where she was going to go because the only people we had told were my parents and my birth team. And I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. Like I just kept considering different people we could maybe tell and ask if they would, you know, come watch them. But like, we just couldn't figure anyone out that we felt safe and comfortable enough asking, um, especially to be on call for whenever I was to go in labor. Like it was just, it's a lot. Right. Um, and typical reason why you maybe would ask parents, but Brett's parents didn't live. Um, they live hours, several hours away. Um, so they didn't really feel like an option and I wasn't going to ask my parents because they didn't even approve of me having a home birth. I didn't want anything. I did not want them to know I was in labor. Um, I didn't want to have any conversation. I didn't want to get a text message from them. I didn't want to see their faces when they came to pick up Penny, like nothing. Like I wanted nothing to do with them when it came to the birth. So it was about 11 in the morning on my 40, you know, at 40 weeks. And I recorded this little video for my, for my baby. I'd done this like vlog basically for the baby throughout my whole pregnancy just talking to baby, telling her how my pregnancy was going, how excited we are to meet you, you know, all these different things. And in that video and at that time, I was really thinking about how baby, you know, that that the baby didn't come the night before. And like now my contractions were basically gone by 11 a.m. like what what was going to happen is this prodrome labor like all this is running through my head turns out surprise surprise I am very long-winded and so I had to cut this episode into two so come back to part two episode six next week to hear my home birth VBAC story, the actual birth experience of my daughter, Amelia Grace. That's our show. And I want to thank you for listening. If you found this podcast helpful, I'd be so grateful if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you're looking for help on how to interview midwives... I invite you to grab my free guide, 60 Must Ask Questions for Home Birth Midwives. Just check out the show notes to get it. Thank you to everyone that helps make this show happen. The theme song was written and recorded by Jody Good. I'm your host and producer, Megan R. Cooper. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay fearless.